I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Breaking news. As we are recording this episode, uh, some news broke. Kiki, uh, do you want to you wanna go with that? Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, it is our sad duty to report that uh, Disney legend Tommy Kirk, who is uh, best known for being in Old Yeller and uh, Shaggy Dog and many other Disney films, uh, has died. He was 79. Uh, the news broke when a fellow... Disney actor, uh, former child actor, former Mouseketeer Paul Peterson posted to Facebook that Tommy Kirk had been found dead um, last night, which uh, would have been uh, September 27th, uh, probably. Um, in his house in um, Las Vegas. Uh, He lived alone, uh, very close to his friend and uh, one of his co-stars from Old Yeller, um, Bev Washburn. Uh, Presumably she was the one who found him. It's a little unclear. Uh, and she informed Paul Peterson, who informed uh, Facebook uh, and the media and his fans. Um, we've talked before that Tommy Kirk was once the Disney golden child. One of the OG Disney kids. Yeah, and Walt Disney had called him... Um, like his uh his good luck piece even that basically when he when he was in a movie it was gonna make bank i mean he 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 was the star for disney for a while we just talked about him a few weeks ago in swiss family robinson yeah um and then it kind of came out to the Disney company that Tommy was gay. And that did not fit with the Disney brand. So he was fired. Disney has never confirmed that that was the reason behind the firing of Tommy Kirk. Mm. However... Tommy Kirk was very adamant that that was the reason that he went from the golden boy of Disney one day to not being able to find a job in Hollywood the next. And if you look at Tommy Kirk's career, 
there is a very clear line of him being one of the highest paid, most constantly working actors in Hollywood to him being a joke, basically. He went from being in fairly stable pictures that made good money. Not all of them great pictures. I'm I'm not going to say that. But movies that made good money to the type of movies you literally do find on Mystery Science Theater. The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. Um, Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfolds. Literal Mystery Science Theater film Catalina Caper. Oh, okay. Um, so... There is a very clear line of one day he was the it boy and the next day he is scrambling for money. Um, he After that, he had uh, some serious problems with drugs, as one might expect from someone who has been completely rejected by the only industry he has ever known. Uh, the only family he has ever known. Uh, speaking of family, um, I will, I will read it to you from Paul Peterson's post. Tommy was gay and estranged from what remains of his blood family. Uh, we in a minor consideration that is a, um, a group that Paul Peterson formed to help people who were former child actors uh, continue um, on after they grew up. Um, We in a minor consideration are Tommy's family without apology. We will take care of this. So to this day, um, till the day he died, he remained estranged from his family because, uh, presumably, of his sexuality and the fallout of that revelation, which is absolutely tragic. It um, is. But it happens to too many people. I, you know, Tommy Kirk was a really good actor. He was a, a really good child actor, which is hard to find, honestly. And... We have talked about it on the show before that uh, I think the opinion of the both of us is that Tommy Kirk really deserved better. Yeah. He deserved better from Disney, especially. Specifically, he deserved better from the Walt Disney Corporation. And he deserved better from society in general, as do, I think, all LGBTQ people. I mean, how many... Only recently, uh, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, ha- was comfortable enough to come out herself. Yeah, she's been in a 20-year relationship with the same woman. and I can't even get a 20-year relationship with anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most people are lucky to have a 20-year relationship with anyone. But she has been in a stable, loving 20-year same-sex relationship and has kept it hidden because she because she thought it would impact her brand 
Um, she thought she would lose fans. She thought she would lose work. She thought she would lose sponsorships. And I can't tell her that she was wrong. She's, you know, she kind of had to. And how many actors that we've talked about that had to keep that part of their life secret? Because if it came out that they were gay, that they wouldn't get work anymore. It it's it's very sad that um you know I said Tommy Kirk was a Disney legend at the beginning and that wasn't just words Disney named him to the official Disney Legends list um in 2006 so this is something that the Disney Corporation has done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, every year they take a lot of their people and, you know, like what last year they named um, Ming-Na Wen as a Disney legend. Yeah. Um, so it's like they, they do this officially. The thing is, is that in the official press release and the official archive um disney does not own up to what they did to tommy kirk they have a line that personal problems caused tom some difficulties during the early 1960s mm-hmm Tom experienced many of the same troubles other former child and teen stars did when they matured, and he was left to take less and less challenging roles in the 1960s beach party films and teen movies. But fortunately, Tommy Kirk discovered that there was life after movies. Wow. Just... Wow. It continues, though his filmmaking days are behind him, Tom has continued to act occasionally and has more than 30 feature film roles to his credit. And most importantly, he has made peace with his past. Wow. Wow. That is. Wow. <sighs> You know, we've always said that when the mouse does something wrong, we're going to call the mouse out. You done wrong, Disney. Yeah. You done Tommy Kirk wrong. Did him dirty. Disney knows what they did to Tommy Kirk, and they didn't do him right in life, but maybe you should do him right in death. And if they're not going to say it, we will. Yeah. They fired Tommy Kirk for being gay. And everyone knows it. All of Tommy Kirk's friends know it. All of Tommy Kirk's fans know it. Okay. Tommy Kirk was fired for being gay. Disney ruined his career and ruined his life for being gay. All right, let it be known. 
and it's yeah. a tragedy. He it's, deserved so much better. And he was a really great actor in those movies. You know, we we've kind of dogged him in in movies like uh, you know, in Swiss Family Robinson and 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 Base in Toyland, but that was the, on the script. That had nothing to do with him. Yeah, no, he was he's excellent in Old Yeller. I mean, that that's a classic. Mm. No hate on on that. And even stuff like Shaggy Dog and and everything, which are not not my personal favorite, but he's good in in that that movie. Um but you know, he he was a good actor. He had a lot of talent. Honestly, even in even in some of his his stuff, like, you know, some of the stuff that ended up on Mystery Science Theater and everything, I still like him in that stuff. He's entertaining to watch. Um and it's just my heart goes out to him. It's tragic. Um but go go back and watch a Tommy Kirk movie. You know? Yeah. Plenty of them on Disney Plus. I want Misadventures of Merlin Jones and Monkey's Uncle on Disney Plus. They're not there. Yeah, but also when when somebody brings up Tommy Kirk to you, maybe let them know why he stopped being in Disney movies. If somebody just goes like, "Oh, isn't it?" Isn't it sad he fell into drugs? Maybe let him know why he fell into drugs. You know? Because he was in a depression because he got fired because he was gay. You know? Stuff like that didn't didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't let that go unremarked and uh, forgotten. Because Tommy Kirk deserved better. So... We're we're gonna miss you, Tommy, and yeah. uh, we'll we'll be out here carrying the torch for you, even if uh, Disney won't. Yeah, deserved better than what he got. Yeah, so rest in peace, Tommy. Maybe you can find it now. <sighs> so you ready to talk about some alien kids? Yeah, might as well. It's October. It's the spooky season once again. Yeah, it's time and to get our spoops on. It's spoopy. Very spoopy. And uh, we are starting out our own spooky season with Escape to Witch Mountain from 1975. I remember watching this movie a lot growing up on the Disney Channel. Uh, for someone who did not grow up on the Disney Channel like yourself... Do you remember anything about this movie prior to doing it for uh, this episode? I know I had seen probably bits and pieces. This has the air of something that I probably watched once in childhood and then immediately wiped from my memory. Mm. Like watching it, I was like, yeah, some of this seems vaguely familiar, but... Eh. And the weird thing is this is the start of a franchise because uh the movie was successful enough to get a sequel uh returning to witch mountain in 78 
we got a TV third movie called Beyond Witch Mountain, which apparently was supposed to lead into a series that never happened. And yeah, that was that was in the the early eighties at yeah. some point. Yeah, following the story of the first film. And we got a TV remake in 95 for The Wonderful World of Disney. And, of course, there was Race to Witch Mountain with The Rock. Which I think that they thought that was going to be the start of another big franchise run of sequels. The way they hyped that up, I really think Disney thought that was going to be like a five-movie series with The Rock. Yeah, they put a lot of things. I mean, right now, the only lasting, the only thing that lasted from Race to Witch Mountain is a meme. Yeah, that meme is still everywhere. That is the lasting impression of Race to Witch Mountain. And there's been some rumors that another Witch Mountain movie is in some level of development for Disney Plus. I I heard rumors that it was like a Disney Plus series. Series, movie, either or. I've heard that, yeah, but on some level, someone at Disney Plus wants to revive this franchise again. And I can see why the concept of this movie, of these two kids with extraordinary powers going around the country and stuff, there's possibilities in that as a series. Uh, Okay, I'll give it this much. Alien children with superpowers is a concept. But we have that concept in a bunch of other stuff. Alien children with paranormal powers being hunted by insert bad guy of choice. Yeah, we got that in spades. That's that's like half of YA fiction. And honestly, that's how this started. It started as a book. Again, I did not know it was a book until doing the research for this episode. Yeah, me neither. Um, But it started off as like, you know, I guess we'd call it YA now. Back in the 60s, they didn't have that designation. But now we'd call it YA fiction. We've we've got that. Now it's it's super tropey now. That's fine. That's a fine premise. Having them be brother and sister, the whole plot of, you know, they're, they escaped from their thing. And that, yeah, this plot is done to death by now. But then there was something new. Then which it is, was something new. Okay, which is I'll probably give it that. why Which is probably why it was a hit back then. Again, that was something new, something that they hadn't seen. But now, again, like you're right, the trope has been done to death. So I don't know why they would want to bring back this franchise. I don't know. Um, most of the most of the the stuff we have to talk about this movie is really in the plot of the film because there's not a lot to deal with in the 
background, it kind of was Disney found a book and decided to turn it into a movie. There's one name <laughs> attached to this movie that as soon as I saw the movie said, yep, that's one of his. And that would be Ron Miller. We've talked about Ron Miller, the former CEO of Disney during the 70s, who tried to turn Disney a little bit more mature during the 70s and 80s, trying to go a little bit more dark. And we'll get into more of that as we get through the plot of the movie. Yeah, and the reason we're doing this for Spooky Month is because, as we've talked about before, Disney really didn't do a lot of horror it really didn't go along with their family brand. Hmm. And so whenever we try to do Spooky Month, it it, it really uh, doesn't go well for, <laughs> for us in trying I, to find stuff. I mean, after Nightmare and Hocus Pocus, it's like downhill. Yeah, there are a, a few cartoons and, and stuff, you know, but it's it's there's not a lot of meaty spooks. Um. We'll be having to do Halloween Town next year or something. <laughs> and yeah, and we've talked about it. Um, those, th- those of you who are Halloween Town fans, yeah, we'll probably get to it. Um, this this is kind of the the closest that they came. Were these kind of Ron Miller sort of more mature ish, slightly older kid movies? Yeah. In the in the seventies. So that's that's kinda why we're starting the month with this this one, if you're if you're curious, you know. No, there's no witches, no, there's not but it was meant to be kind of scary and kind of Dark for Disney. Yeah, dark for Disney, which is not very dark, and today is a bit of a yawner if you want to talk. If you want to talk about the the fright of this, but it was called, you know, Roger Ebert called it a thriller that was scary but not too scary. scary I don't. In- Scary enough for little children, but not... If you're an adult watching this movie, it's not going to be too scary. But if you're a little kid watching this movie, you're going to be on the edge of your seat. Honestly, I don't know how little the little kid would have to be to watch to to find this scary. Five? (laughs) Yeah, you know, maybe. But uh, let's talk about who's in this movie, because for the day, they got some names. The biggest name of the time was Eddie Albert. He's Jason O'Day, who is our kindly, in in big scare quotes, <laughs> he's he's our crotchety old man who who picks up the kids and helps them on the the road trip. And of course, he was best known at the time for being Oliver Oliver Wendell Douglas in Green Acres. We've we've talked we've talked about his co-star in in Green Acres, of course. Uh, the back in the Rescuers. <laughs> it, 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 as as we did the Rescuers there, um, we got we got good uh, good old Oliver Oliver Douglas there. Um, I I was such a big Green Acres fan, uh, which I think we talked about there um, watching it as a kid. So it was it was nice seeing him in these. 
in, in this in this film. But as our main villain, although he doesn't really appear a lot in the movie, he is the the big villain. Um, we have Ray Milan, who is really interesting because he won an Oscar for The Lost Weekend, in which he played a drunk. And it was one of the earlier and most unflinching portrayals of alcoholism on screen. And then, of course, he was the murderer in Dial M for Murder, one of the the great Hitchcock films. Uh, so he he had a major history of being these kind of really intense villains. Or I'm not sure if you'd call him a villain in The Lost Weekend so much as a very complicated and tragic figure. Uh, but. Here, as Aristotle Bolt, he's just generic mustache-twirling villain. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate capitalist bad guy. You know, he wants to use these children to discover oil and help him increase his wealth. Um, but it, it was interesting to see, like, you know, Oscar winner Ray Milland is like this kind of very bizarre, generic villain in this maybe that's why he's not in this movie very much again not much you can do and how much can you pay an oscar winner in 70s disney money yeah i don't know but as the kind of on the ground bad guy our our good old uh go-to henchman here (laughs) we have donald pleasance dr loomis (laughs) yeah not quite the halloween movie i expected him to be in uh yeah, so Donald Pleasance is of of course uh Dr. Loomis in the Halloween movies, uh at least uh the original the original Halloween movies and four of the sequels. He was also in Escape from New York. Um of course if you want to go something a little more highbrow, you can uh go for his turn in the great escape he's also in the f- first film george lucas ever directed thx 1138 um you may remember him as uh, blofeld in uh you only live twice the the bond film or uh of course you may remember him in the uh mystery science theater classic pew mayman my name is Pleasance, and I am funky. Yep, Donald Room Clearer Pleasance. It's my irritable bowel syndrome, isn't it? This is Flying Officer Donald Pleasance with the traffic report. Um, which, of course, we've been joking about off mic for, <laughs> for some time. But, so, uh, he's quite, quite prolific. He he does a fine job in here. He's always a an excellent go-to villain. The 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 scene with Donald Pleasance versus a grizzly bear was was quite fun for me. 
Uh, and uh, rounding out the cast, we have our two precocious little uh, tots here. The, the more interesting of the, the two for me was uh, Kim Richards as Tia, the, the little girl here, because she grew up to be one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. And is kind of best known now for getting drunk and arrested because she trespassed and shoplifted from a Target or something. And then she went on Dr. Phil to talk about how she got drunk and shoplifted a Target or something. I don't know. Talk about a downfall for a Disney kid. I mean, honestly, by the time you're on the Real Housewives of the whatever, the blah, you've already downfallen at that point. Getting drunk and shoplifting a Target is a lateral move at best, but whatever. And then we have, as her brother, Tony, uh, Ike Eisenman. He uh, did... These films, uh, he also voiced the Little Green Sprout for the Green Giant commercials back in the 70s and 80s. So he was the, I think that was supposed to be the son of the Jolly Green Giant. Um, And he was also Scotty's nephew in the Wrath of Khan. Hmm. Uh, Peter, Peter Preston. Uh, I believe he has retired from acting. Um, yeah, he's mostly behind the cameras these days. Uh, his last acting, the last acting gig that I, that I can see, I can look up him in was a 2002 parody short that he directed and starred in along with Kim Richards called The Blair Witch Mountain Project. Where they both reprised their roles from the original film. Um, however, both uh, he and Kim Richards did appear in a cameo uh, in Race to Witch Mountain. So they're they're both in the latest movie with The Rock um, as cameos in in the background. And uh, I do believe. Eisenman uh, kept uh, working behind the scenes, and I believe he still has a behind-the-scenes career uh, to this day. Hopefully he's he's doing much better on the personal front than his co-star. So, you want to get into uh, the plot such as it is of this film? I do want to talk a little bit about this opening sequence. This half rotoscoped animated kind of spooky intro because you get the the shadows of tia and tommy running away from these cartoon dogs yeah it is a a, it is a bit of an odd opening i I will say it makes the and the, the first part of this movie the first third of this movie makes the dogs out to be this big threat because throughout the first third of the movie Every night they go to sleep, they hear these barking dogs, like the dogs are coming for them. And then when we finally get to the dogs, it's taken care of in five seconds. 
Yeah, because the dogs are actually owned by um, Bolt. They're uh, Ray Milan's dogs. He has a whole kennel of uh, Dobermans. Uh, Tia can hear them from miles away. I think she says like 20 or 50 miles that she can hear them. Uh, and they're locked up in kennels at his mansion. And when they get to the mansion, she sees the dogs. And she says, oh, those are the dogs that I was hearing. And later during their escape, the dogs are let loose. And she uses her powers to communicate with animals to say, okay, calm down. There's bad guys chasing us. Go get them. And the dogs turn and they attack the guards instead. And that is the end of the dog plot. Yeah, I, I, which makes me wonder why they decided to make the dogs like this big looming thing for the first third of this movie. You know, the dog thing was really kind of awesome. It really gave a, like a looming threat. Yeah. And I thought that that was really effective. Until it got to the point where the dogs were there. And, you know, as one of my favorite YouTube channels say, uh, you know, super easy, barely an inconvenience. I mean, it was just going to be super easy, barely an inconvenience. Okay, that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. So let's kind of talk about about these these kids Tia and Tommy Tia has psychic powers she can communicate with her mind and can communicate with animals Tommy has telekinetic powers he can make himself flow to make other things float but he doesn't have the ability to communicate through telepathy several scenes in the movie we see Tia talking to him through her mind and he's verbally reciprocating well, Which kind of makes it for odd conversations if you're on the other side of this conversation. Well, here's the weird thing. Their powers are a bit wibbly-wobbly in this. Because we see Tia use telekinesis at several points. She lifts Tommy into the air at several points during this. One to catch a baseball during a, during a game. Yeah, and then again in the sheriff's office... Um, and she lifts a couple of objects at certain points, uh, including getting his harmonica for him. So she also has the telekinesis. And I do believe that there, um, that there may be one point where he may respond to her with telepathy. And I may, I may not remember that correctly. Uh, but yeah, you are correct that usually he responds verbally to her. In the book, apparently, she is completely nonverbal. That doesn't really work for a movie. It does not. Um, and also, apparently, it's something about her being a girl that she is nonverbal in the book. I think it's the way the book is trying to explain it. And then the movie tries to explain it a little bit more that... Her powers are more advanced because she's a girl versus Tommy's. Yeah, it's 
It's a, it's a little bizarre. Um, or Tony, not Tommy. Tony also has this, also a bit of in, an inconsistency with his powers, because sometimes he can use his powers on his own, and sometimes he needs to play the harmonica to use his powers. Yeah, that that is also a, a little strange. And they make and they work it into the score of the movie well enough that it doesn't become too bothersome. But if you're not a fan of harmonica music, you are not going to like this movie. This, yeah, the way that they do Tony's uh, telekinesis gets really annoying very fast. Um, it, re- it reminds me of another um, mystery science theater movie. It reminded me of Pod People. Mm. Because if you've ever seen Pod People, there is the um, Trumpy, you do stupid things bit. Trumpy, you can do stupid things. Where the alien starts making the toys and stuff dance around the room. While really annoying music plays. And we get that in this movie, too. And we get that in this movie, too, where they get to the mansion and Tony starts doing a marionette show using his harmonica for his sister while she dances around as if it's entertaining, which it is not. And I say that as someone who loves marionettes. It it goes on way too long. Like, all we needed was a small snippet to be like, oh, the boy can... Use telekinesis and his harmonica to control very fine control objects like marionettes in very complicated ways. This this is impressive. And instead, it is an incredibly long sequence to very annoying music. And then we pull back and we see that the bad guys are watching. They have rigged the entire children's quarters with video cameras, cameras so That's that... That's not creepy at all. Well, they're trying to gather proof that the children have powers so that they can use it to blackmail the children into using their powers for them. I get it, but still putting cameras into a child's bedroom, you know? Oh, agreed. But to be honest, kidnapping children to make them use their powers for your own capitalistic ends is already creepy enough. So, yeah. Yeah. So also we get double the Disney in here and we don't, uh, Tia and Tommy don't just have one set of dead parents. They have two. Yeah, they have their original dead alien parents because of the ship crash. We don't we never know if their parents were on the ship. Their parents may have died back on the planet. We don't know and they never tell us. They said that Yeah. So any and then they get adopted while on Earth. And those parents die. We actually see for five seconds the parents that adopted him, which were the captain and the wife of the people that found them in the wreckage yeah eventually those people die under mysterious circumstances i guess well they look pretty old 
I mean, if you say so, I, I, I guess. Who knows? It's never told. It's never explained. So, yeah. And and the movie picks up with them going into an orph- orphanage. So, yeah. So, so not only... I mean, Disney doing the... De- uh, I apologize to dear listener. There's apparently construction going on outside of my apartment. Uh, we'll try to keep going. <laughs> There's not snow on the ground yet. It's still construction season in Chicago. Yep. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we get double the dead parents in this movie. Way to go, Disney. Uh per- there's even suggestion of triple the dead parents, even though it's a it's a fiction, because when Donald Pleasance shows up to claim them, uh, saying that he's their uncle, he spins a tale of his deceased sister. Theoretically, there there could have been three sets of dead parents. Yeah. So this starts with the kids. Uh, Tia warning uh is it is it Donald Pleasance that he warns? Yeah, yeah. She she warns Donald Pleasance that if he gets into his uh little you know, limo or whatever he's getting into, that something bad will happen. Please don't get in the car, sir. Please, I just get these feelings sometimes. And so Donald Pleasance decides to go for a walk, but knowing that something bad is going to happen to the car, he sends the chauffeur into the car anyway. Because he's a douche. Uh, so, uh, a what is it like a truck or something comes it's, in and t-bones the, yeah. the the back seat of the the car, and it would have crushed Donald Pleasance. Fortunately, the chauffeur is okay, uh, but it doesn't crush Donald Pleasance because Tia warned him, and Donald Pleasance says. Hey, that'll be useful to my weird employer who is obsessed with paranormal stuff. So he immediately goes back to Bolt and says, Hey, I met a psychic child and her weird little brother today. We should do something about that. (laughs) Yeah, and Bolt is immediately like, adopt them. That's an order. As uh, children in these kind of movies do, they get bullied, and the bully uh, kind of almost sort of breaks Tia's little star box, this little box that she carries around. But it works out in the kid's favor because the piece of the box that, that breaks off reveals a map to what we find out is where the other survivors of their alien race are. This place called Witch Mountain. So that's kind of gets their thing. I think they need to escape from uh, evil rich guy and his lackey and try to find uh, their people. And uh, during all of this stuff, they find a stray cat that they name Winky and they kind of adopt him. Yeah. Winky is really the star of this movie. Winky is totally the star of this movie. Actually, all the animals are the... Tia being able to talk to animals, best part of this movie. I would watch an entire movie about Tia, the girl who can psychically talk to animals. This is 100% better than Dr. Doolittle. I was going to say, 
though considering this is Disney and Disney has had a shaky history, at least at this point, in dealing with animals on film, kind of wonder what they did to these animals. Well, yeah, but we've got CGI now. Yeah. So if you if you made that movie today, we don't actually have to, you know, mess with any real animals. So I I would I would watch Tia alien girl who talks to animals. That I would. that would be awesome. That would be, you know, like like I mean Doc McStuffins could this could like be that kind of movie only instead of stuffed animals it's you know an actual animals. Yeah, I would watch Alien Chick on a road trip around the country helping various animals out of interesting predicaments involving humans. Yeah, because they befriend uh, she befriends a, a a wild horse that the owner says he can never be able to break, and they befriend a bear. Yeah, they release a bear from like a a circusy kind of thing. I love Tony's joke about he hopes they don't come across a zoo <laughs> on, on their trip, which I think would be fascinating. Yeah, releasing all of the animals in the zoo. <laughs> I want to see Tia versus Joe Exotic. <laughs> there we go. Tia versus Joe Exotic. This is a call Netflix. It's the crossover event of the century. I want it. Netflix will greenlight anything and Disney loves money. It's perfect. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Now, that sounds like a better idea than whatever Witch Mountain remake they're going to make for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, agreed. To be honest, the, the fact that the girl was uh, talking to animals, the only part of this movie that made it even halfway watchable for me. Um, so, the, uh, the first part of this movie drags so much. Them in the orphanage. Because there's the little snot-nosed red-headed kid, the, sh the bully to them. Yeah. This kid never gets his comeuppance. He's annoying. He kind of forces Tony to use his powers. Yeah, he forces Tony to use his powers, which makes them disliked at the orphanage. Matilda the Saint. Yeah, um, I wish this was Matilda. That's a good movie. And that's about it. Yeah. He tells the villain who the kids are and how to find them. And that's like the last we see of him. And that's it. Uh, Yeah. So, um, after they escape from the rich people, uh, we enter Jason O'Day, this uh, old man who plans to travel all across the country in this RV. Hell of a retirement plan, honestly. Yeah. 
he stops by to get supplies at this local shop that just happens to be by where the rich guy lives. And the kids sneak aboard. And in typical kid movie fashion, the grumpy old man, I hate children, I'm not going to be, you know, blah, 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 you know. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen enough of these kind of movies. It's not very believable, considering it is Eddie Albert doing this. But, of course, he warms up to the kids because this is a Disney movie. Of course he is. Well... Tia almost immediately unravels his story because she can read minds. Consent, Tia. Consent. Yeah. Um, And she immediately realizes that he got married and, like, what? Like, five months after his marriage, his wife died or something? Something like that. And then he shuts his heart out to anyone and everyone he will never love again. And the thing is, is apparently he really, really wanted children. But when his wife died, he was like, nope, no, no loving any more women, no having any children. I will be a miserable person forever. And apparently he's just been living like that for decades. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really depressing. It feels like this could be a different movie following jason o'day it's almost like it's up in a way yeah except you feel bad for for him because at least in up like carl and ellie got decades together Mm -hmm. they had a life you have a sense that jason and his wife probably as you know would have been kind of normal back in the the time. They probably met really young and got married very quickly. And then you get the feeling that it it was probably like an accident or something or a very fast illness. They never explain it, but that's all we know. But like so soon after them getting married for her to die and also for him to hate children maybe even in childbirth maybe or or like complications of a pregnancy possibly um so you have a feeling that she died quickly and unexpectedly for him to be that devastated um and for her to die that quickly after their marriage um it obviously upset him enough to completely completely shut himself from having a connection to anyone yeah for for decades apparently um so you know this poor guy and then but you have the the sense that he absolutely loves children because he takes to these children almost immediately. Within minutes of meeting them, you know, he's like, get out of my Winnebago, but you can't go without breakfast. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah. By the end of the film, he's even saying that he kind of cares for these kids like they're, they, they are his kids. 
Yeah, he asks for permission to remember them as his own children. You know, at first he falls in love with the cat. He sees the cat first and is immediately like, I'm adopting you. And then the cat comes with two children and he's like, ah, crap. (laughs) Which I feel you, Jason. It's it's like, okay. Um, But realizing that they're on the run and the fact that he realizes that they're not running away from home, they immediately tell him they're trying to figure out where home is. Yeah, throughout this entire movie, Tia gets very blurry flashbacks. Like she just zones out completely. Like something is said, and then it kind of zones her out to a blurry flashback of her, her brother, in the water, being rescued by someone. And she just can't piece it together. And it's not until we get to the climax of the movie that everything falls into place. They find out that the man that was they they find out that there was an adult with him turns out to be their uncle. Uncle Benet. Uncle Benet. Which I assume is their only living relative at this point. And that they are rescued and given to these fishermen. It's fishing, yeah, because he said because uh Jason talks about fishing and that seems to trigger the memories in Tia. Yeah, and they they slowly piece together that they were in the water. There was an older man that they later realize is Uncle Benet. Uh, Tia is convinced for most of the movie that he drowned during the accident. Uh, At first, they think that their boat must have crashed and that they came from another country. And then they realized that they didn't come from another country. They came from another star system. Yeah, because she goes on and how they, when they first arrived with their adopted parents, that they didn't talk for a long time because they didn't know English. They talked in a what, what Tia calls a strange language, which gets them thinking, oh, we're from another country. N- no, we're not from another country, we're from another planet. Yeah, in a binary star system, which is why her star case has two stars on it. Which apparently is the symbol for their planet. Yeah. Um, and then eventually she remembers that it's a spacecraft, which is why there's a bright light in her visions. It's the spacecraft ab- above, but their spacecraft crashed. Apparently, it must have been the spacecraft with the children on it. I don't really know why you would put all the children on one spacecraft, but eh, whatever. Yeah, the by the end of the film, Uncle Benet says that there are other children all over the world that are also survivors of their home world. Which apparently would have been the TV show had it gone to series back then of Jason and Tia and Tony going all over the world trying to find the other alien children. The, yeah, which, I mean, it's not a bad plot for a TV series, but the interesting thing is, is that by now, 
Yeah, we've we kind we've kind of seen that. Yeah. A lot. That's been the plot of a lot of. You know. Yep. Um. But it doesn't mean that it's a bad plot. But, you know, they eventually... I must say one thing before we keep going here. Jason accepts the kids being aliens way too quickly. Well, I am going to say this. By the time this thing comes up with uh with them realizing that the the crash was not a boat accident but a spaceship crash he has watched these children levitate a gun uh start his Winnebago and a police motorcycle and drive the motorcycle off a cliff. Um, One of the children has read his mind and pulled out his deepest, darkest secret about his wife. Um, I mean, he's seen some shiz, okay? So then being aliens when you... Yeah, right. At this point, looking at a at a kid who has a strange map and putting together like, hey, the weirdos that my brother says moved into the mountain and are doing weird stuff on a place that the locals have named Witch Mountain might actually be a group of aliens, and I've got two of them in my car. Honestly, that seems like a fairly normal explanation at that point. So, yeah, yeah. Jason mentions that he has a brother that lives in that area. And uh, like Kiki said, uh, the locals believe that these people are witches and they live on on Witch Mountain. A couple of those locals uh, end up capturing the the two kids. Because uh, Aristotle Bolt has a lot of influence in a lot of places. So they already know that the kids are coming. They know that the kids belong to uh, Uncle Lucas, as it were. And that they're going to be delivered back to their family. Eh, Money. Money talks. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the kids use their powers to escape. And the local law enforcement say, hey, these, these kids are witches. They're from Witch Mountain. And brings up the uh, the good old boys and say, we're going to get these 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 uh, strangers and we're going to send them back where they came from. Which never really go anywhere. Well. Because the plot has dropped pretty quickly at that point. Well, honestly, the... They form the hunting party. The sheriff forms the hunting party after being, you know, he captures the kids because Jason drops them off and he says, I'm going to try to lead uh, Donald Pleasance and Uberman 
Yeah, the other henchman is named Uberman. Because apparently Nazi guy was a little too on the nose. He says, you know, I'm going to I'm going to lead them away. You run through the woods and find my brother. But the sheriff actually sees the drop off and chases the kids and and find, you know, and captures them and locks them up. And through hijinks, uh, the kids use their powers to scare the sheriff. So the sheriff goes, ah, they are witches. Let's form a witch hunting party. So, like you said, they round up all the good old boys with their shotguns and their convertibles. (laughs) I found that part weird. It's California. (laughs) Yeah. They go off to hunt the witches. Luckily, uh, Tia is able to summon their bear friend back who saved the day. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the the witch hunt is that once they make telepathic contact with Uncle Benet, Uncle Benet is able to use his powers... And presumably, probably the powers of the rest of the unseen alien tribe <laughs> tribe at Witch Mountain to cause shenanigans that scare off the locals. We never see Jason's brother in the movie. I'm just going to point that out. Like, they make it to Jason's, uh, the brother's farm, I assume. That's what this, this is supposed to be. He's just not there. Yeah, we never see him. I guess they were trying to keep the cast low, because this cast is is really sparse. I guess it was because they had to save their money for all the special effects. And by special effects, I do mean they tied a string to a bunch of stuff and dangled it in front of the camera. And you know they did that. Because you can see the string in basically all the shots. Considering that, what, this is, uh, what, 75? Star Wars came out the next year? In two years, but yeah. Yeah, you could see the, the differences in the special effects for this movie and the special effects for Star Wars. Yeah, I don't know what the budget for this thing was, but... It about above looks, 50, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it, it looks about that. It, it was... It's, Boy, this thing looks cheap. Not that I'm I'm not I'm actually gonna say something is that I think they try to have the acting save it and they try their hardest. Like the acting is good. Even the kids are good actors. But they can't yeah, save the best. No hate effects. on any of the actors in this. The actors are desperately trying their best. To work yeah, to work with this material. Uh and the material they have to work with is uh really thin. There is this is a no 90 minute plot. this is a 90 minute movie that could have easily been a 45 minute TV special on the on the Disney Channel or on the wonderful world of Disney in 75. Yeah, this 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 has almost no plot to it. Um most of this movie is padded by these kids do wacky things. It phew, it's 
boy, there is not a lot to this. I mean, <laughs> the only the the big turn in their in any level of the story is when they find out their true name is Castaway. Presumably, that's the translation of the alien word, but because they say that their name that their names are Castaway. And that is where Uncle Bonet connects to them. Yeah, they get to a a little um, welcome center or whatever. That's like Witch Mountain Co-op Welcome Center or something. And inside there's a telephone and they pick it up and a voice answers. And they're like... uh, uh, yeah, we're trying to talk to Mr. Castaway, and they're like, did you say Castaway? Yeah. They're like, oh my goodness, is this Tia and Tony? Yay! And that's uh, apparently all you need to do. And then there's some more wacky shenanigans where they make a helicopter fly upside down through the magic of really bad green screen. And they make a RV fly with the magic of really bad green screen. Marvel at the magic of really bad green screen. And they commit to this upside down helicopter. This goes on for like 10, 15 minutes of this upside down helicopter. Like... If it was any other movie, they would have tried to right side up that thing immediately. But they commit to the bit. It is flying upside down for the rest of this movie. It lands upside down. Yeah, that was not done with green screen. That was a practical effect. And that at least, yay for doing that. Because that at least was kind of vaguely interesting to watch. Um, I, I would like... At least to uh, read a a bit of a snippet from critic Jeff Brown, who said that it was a strong storyline that the Disney team seemed content to fritter away with silly comedy and footling displays of magic. Which honestly is kind of how I felt. Yeah. This movie, if this movie had a bigger budget, even for 75 standards, this would have been a better movie. And if they had a couple of more rewrites, maybe. Well, honestly, I don't think it needed a bigger budget. I would have been more content with less displays of the kids' powers. Honestly, the the most interesting powers the kids had were... The ability to talk to each other and talk to animals. And those are the ones that required the least amount of budgetary special effects. This is a good and stable plot. And like we've said, so many other productions have done this same plot better since. Mm. And maybe it's just that... This is one of the first properties to try to do this plot. The yeah. idea of alien children stranded on Earth trying to find their 
people. Like, I mean, what, E.T. would be, what, six years later? Uh, 82, I believe, so. Seven years later. So, yeah. So, it's not that that, a lost alien on Earth isn't, wouldn't be done again. But like I said, the idea of human-looking children who are actually aliens stuck on Earth, it would be done better later on. But this is one of the first, so it does deserved that credit but I'm, i also must say this is probably the worst movie i've seen with a flying winnebago in it <laughs> radar repaired sir we're picking up the outline of a winnebago winnebago lone star yeah it, it is a a sweet little ending though they meet that, the uncle, uncle benet yeah they find out uncle benet's alive he helps scare off the you know the the villains for for good they get in a spaceship they fly away they make it look like they're flying away to their home planet again um they still have a working spaceship and for the sake of Bolt and the henchmen and the rednecks and everything they make it look like they're flying off into outer space but in real life, they're just going back to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Um. Once the villains are gone, they do a, a flyover again to wave goodbye to Eddie Albert. And then they just pop back over into the, the fog on the other side of the mountain back to where they have their real encampment, uh, presumably of all these aliens. We find out in the later movies that they do have an encampment of a bunch of alien survivors. But uh, but uh, Eddie Albert gets to keep the cat. Yeah, they ask Eddie Albert to keep uh, Winky for them. I don't know why they can't take Winky along to the alien uh, colony, because it seems like the cat would be much more content among a bunch of creatures that could actually completely understand it and communicate with it. I mean, the cat from outer space is a completely different movie. Yeah, but cats seem very annoyed that humans do not constantly understand exactly what they are saying at all times. So well, you've, you've owned cats, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I've lived with cats before, and cats seem constantly annoyed that you do not completely understand them at all times. And, uh, yeah, the movie ends with uh, Eddie Albert happy that the kids have found their family again and he just that's it well he he does kind of set up the potential for a sequel saying hey maybe if there are other kids out there i could find them and lead them here and they're kind of like you know you don't have to but if you run across any of them Again, that seems like that would have been what the TV show would have been. Yeah. And they do kind of do that in in the sequel. So it's like it's possible. They're the, you know, they were already laying the seeds of uh, potential sequels in here as it is. Which is very strange for Disney at this point in time. 
Yeah, I think this may be the earliest one I've ever seen doing this. This ain't exactly MCU post-credit scenes. But yeah, the kids are back with their uncle. Eddie Albert has a new traveling companion in Winky. Uh, The end. So, um, do we ask the question at this point? I mean, honestly, I think we kind of already answered it. But yeah, let's just get it out of the way. Escape to which mountain? Does this have the magic kiki? It should have. But I think it really missed the mark. I'm going to have to agree with you. There's a lot of potential in the story of this movie. Uh, But uh, like you said, other movies within the last 30 plus years have done it better, especially in the last 20. Uh, But credit for this being one of the first. There's a lot, um, as I said, there was a lot of potential in this movie, but I feel like it, it needed something more to make it a little bit more exciting. Either fully go into the more scary stuff of it, or turn it back and make it a little bit more lighthearted. Because it seems that this movie wanted it to be both scary, but not scary, but also here's slapstick comedy with kids with psychic powers. You know, it wasn't really the tone that annoyed me. It was the pacing. There's a lot. Yeah, I I agree. Again, there's a lot of very slow parts in this movie. Like, this is a 90-minute movie, as I said before. Like, you could cut this down to 45 minutes and lose nothing. Yeah, I don't mind that it... I don't mind a movie taking its time if it's developing characters and stuff, but this movie wasn't doing that. It just kind of dragged in in too many parts. But, you know, there's the the skeleton, you know, spooky yeah. season. There's the skeleton of a good idea here. I don't know. Like I said, they tried it again with, with, the, with the movie with The Rock, and that really didn't go as well as they wanted it to, I assume. Because, again, I haven't seen it. But the fact that they never did a sequel to it says a lot. Because Disney will take any excuse to make a sequel. Yeah. I heard they added like a alien monster and stuff to it. and I don't know. If we ever do like remakes month or something, that might be under consideration. But yeah, I don't think we can say anything else about, about Witch Mountain here. Nope. Uh, so let's move on to next week. As uh, as Kiki has said, the actual Halloween pickings on Disney Plus are very slim, but um, there are other places. <laughs> Disney does own a lot of movies that fit the Halloween theme when they bought 20th Century Fox. <laughs> So we are going to go off script, as it were, going to go away from Disney Plus next week as um, 
We are going to look at a movie that you and I really love. One of our favorite movies. One of the greatest comedy movies of all time. Young Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. And my name is Igor. Walk this uh, way. <laughs> what? Knockers. I mean, that is that much like Princess Bride, this is one of those movies where every line is a one-liner. And, and you really... know what? It it counts. We can't believe it counts, but it counts. It bless counts because Disney owns this movie. Out. Disney owns this movie now. It's the right time of year to watch it. Uh, and so you yeah, know what? we've had two clunkers in a row. We need a break. <laughs> <laughs> we need to watch something really, really good. This one's just for us. It's gonna be episode ninety-nine, y'all. Ninety-nine. Can you believe we've been doing this for 98 episodes so far? Wow. Like, I Uh, didn't think we'd get past that first year. I thought that you would be bored with this. (laughs) You know what? As long as they're still listening, we're we're still casting. Thank you to our 10 listeners every week. (laughs) (laughs) This is for you. So come back next week for young frankenstein and we will talk to you all then bye don't let the magic stop here join our conversation online on facebook at rewatching the magic twitter at rewatch the magic and of course new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com remember the magic is for everyone It only stops if you let it.